Yes, folks, it's Thursday. It's 2 p.m. Pacific. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Had to let it go a long time today because we got a whole lot of folks on here, Kristen. So the credits had a long time to run. We got a lot going on today. Uh huh. The new format today. Exciting news. Lots it to is. talk about. So what's 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 the big news of the past week? Oh my goodness, we were so busy this past week. We have an exciting partnership to announce. Um the Pillars of Franchising Million Dollar Mentorship Program has um, been really excited to announce a new partnership with IFPG, um, our great friend with the red shoes. I like to refer to him, uh, Red Boswell. We are now very excited to announce that we are joining with them um, as a partner. I'll call it a partner in crime, so to speak, in a fun way. Um, so that we have an opportunity to meet with some of their talented brokers, their franchisors, their vendors, and really get an opportunity to kind of reach out and meet more people and help them uh, get more exposure for some of their folks here on the show. And we really look to um, really network and grow um, both our own businesses as well as theirs. So that was a really big um, accomplishment, if you will. Um, this will not only help our mentees as they come through our program, have people to speak directly with in terms of franchise professionals, let's say it's a banker, let's say it's uh, realtors, insurance folks, which we got a great one coming up next week, um, and the franchisors directly. So we're really looking forward to that. We've got more exciting news uh, up and coming for some more partnerships that we've got brewing here um, at Fran uh, Pillars of Franchising. So hopefully you'll join us in the upcoming weeks to hear more. Um, that's pretty much as much as I can let no. out of the bag until your fingers are telling me, wait. There's two other things of real big note. One, okay, I'm wearing new glasses. Ooh. And two, mine. see, we're new glasses from, for both of us. That's good. And isn't today the inaugural, uh, inaugural appearance of a new mentor in the Million Dollar Mentor Program? It is. It is. One of my favorite people who quickly climbed to the top, Mr. Jerry Akers, joining us today. It always makes me think of the song Green Acres, and I'm very sorry, Jerry, but before I met you, I kept saying, oh, it's the Green Acres, guys, the Green Acres. Sorry, in, we... in very... Go ahead, Fred. You're, you're there I, again. Go ahead. I, I hear your lips I, moving. I got the applause in there, at least to those listening. They, they heard the applause for, for Jerry, so we got him some applause. Got to give the man applause. Yeah. Go ahead. So, Jerry, um, I, I've lost count because as of last week, whoops, look at my screen moving. Um, as of last week, I know that you were um, chatting about. So, all I know is at this point, we're probably over 29 great clips franchises. Yes, we well, we are we are 
still holding at 29. We have a new one coming out of the ground right now, and we've got nine more that are on the verge of being uh, a done deal. So growing every day. Wow, and that's got, a bazillion, isn't it? I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got, well, I'm going to use the, the number numerous, <laughs> <laughs> territories for uh, the joint chiropractic, right? Now I'm responsible for three states in the Midwest, Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota. Um, so, yes, we'll be working on that as well. Yes, yeah, so numerous is a good number. And you're a part of IFA with a lot of the government compliance stuff. Uh, go ahead. Were you going to say I am, something yeah, I am. That? I've been with uh, IFA in some form for about eight years now, and uh, I'm now... Uh, fortunate to be able to serve on the board of directors for IFA, so uh, helping do everything we can to improve the franchise industry. And the most exciting part is that you very soon have a new book coming out. I do. I do. Uh, one of the things that I love about franchising is we can mentor and uh, so many other people that are looking at it, which falls right into what we're talking about. Uh, and uh, with a partner of mine uh, who is a four-time New York Times best-selling author, uh, we are finishing up a book that is destined to help franchisees or potential franchisees make decisions about uh, which direction to go with their future business, as well as give them uh, tons of insight and uh, you know tools to make them much more successful as that uh, franchise comes out of the ground. So I'm excited uh, that that will be coming out later this summer. Yes, and we are so excited to have you as part of the Million Dollar Mentor because I can't tell you what a great cornerstone your experience and your love of sharing and helping people does for our program. So it's been a real gift of, of you giving us your time and your knowledge um, to have you join the show. So thank you and welcome aboard. We're so glad to have you. And Thanks now a lot, everybody. And now a Chicago moment. Get your hat next time. Come on, get with the program. <laughs> yes. Get wear, uh, co-host has to wear hats. Yeah, and think about uh, the background next time too, Jerry. <laughs> okay, so now we've criticized him and made him feel at home. Let's do my favorite part: pillars of weather. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll start and just say the weather is nice. Okay, move on. Who's next? <laughs> it's great. It's 62 degrees here in the uh, Chicagoland Aurora area, and uh, it's sunny. So, okay, who's next? <laughs> Jerry, uh, you're you're in Little Rock. Yeah, I'm no? in uh, I'm in northern north central Arkansas right now, and it is. 61 degrees and very sunny. It's a gorgeous day, and uh, and shame on you guys for taking away from great outdoor activities today. <laughs> Get a hat. Get a hat. So, well, we're we're experiencing our third winter here in in, in Cleveland. So um, just got off two days of snow, and it's melting, and you know in the 40s, so hopefully everything will warm up by this weekend. You know, that is so that when you go back to your fabulous place in Florida, so that you appreciate it more. No question <laughs> about that. <laughs> yep, yep, that's why they gave you that third dose of winter, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. 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 
And our of course, guest. I'm next door to Ray. Yeah, so yeah. that doesn't count. So I, I pass. <laughs> Wonderful guest, Michael. Yeah. Would you like to start? You're on. You're on uh, mute right now, so you're gonna have to turn yourself sure. off. Yeah. But Michael Silva Nash, would you please tell us the weather where you are, and then I'll introduce you. Sure. Well, I'm just west of Surrey, so it's so it's 61 here as well, uh, and it's and it's beautiful outside, but. Unfortunately, I won't get to enjoy that today. I'll be stuck in the office on with you lovely people. <laughs> we, did, we took it away from you too, didn't we, Michael? <laughs> get a hat. Get a hat. <laughs> hey, you said guests didn't have to have a hat. I was pushing it before. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. But, well, never mind. Who can tell what okay. the future brings? You're right. And the beautiful, beautiful Miss Robles, what do you have for weather? Uh, I am uh, in uh, the Ann Arbor, Michigan area. It's uh, 48 degrees here today. It's the, we had snow the last two days, so there's no snow on the ground today, so that's good. Uh, and the sun is out, so that's good. Yay! Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to uh, uh, cut snow. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to mow the snow. Oh, that rhymes. Ray belongs in Alaska. Do you know what, Ray? You could probably live in Alaska next to that crazy lady who thinks she can see Russia from her backyard. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think I would uh, mind Alaska. It would be pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't that's, worry I, about sweating. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need that weather. So let's get started. I want to tell you all about today's show. Unless, Fred, did I forget something else? Well, you just forgot to ask me what the weather was here in California. No I know. No but nobody cares. And that's yeah. why I, all I'll say is thanks for the like on my Instagram post of sushi, having sushi at the beach the other night. It was a really nice evening. Mm. So now you can go. I don't think I liked it. I don't oh, think I okay. liked that post. <laughs> Did anyone on the call like it? I don't think so. Uh -huh. no. uh -huh. hey, all right. Go ahead. Go talk. <laughs> Today's topic is a great topic. Unfortunately, it's one of those topics that is um, one that we tend to not probably talk about enough. Um, and before we get into it, I want to um, introduce two fabulous people that have been involved in this cause for quite some time. And we're going to start with um, the president of the Miss Molly Foundation, Ms. Michelle Robles. And uh, she is the president of the Miss Molly Foundation. She's also the director of systems for Molly Made. Uh, Michelle's been involved with the foundation uh, since she started with, Ms. with Molly Made over 20 years ago. She served on the board since 2009 and was named president of the board in 2013. Her first experience working with domestic violence agencies was in high school as a volunteer. And through the local domestic violence shelter, Safe House Center, she has been um, a children and youth volunteer and member of the local uh, speakers bureau. Is that correct, Michelle? Right, did I get that right? All correct, Kristen. Okay, good. You're going to have to keep that mute off because I'm just going to catch you probably off off guard <laughs> all the time now. So, um, and we're going to talk in a little bit too about some of the awards and things that the Miss Molly Foundation has earned since you um, kind of took the helm of the foundation. So I think there's some good things to talk about here very soon. And the next one, um, uh, Michael Silva Nash. Now, Michael, you have astounded me since we bought our franchise about 15 years ago. Your story and your involvement in the foundation has just, or even in your parents' business, has just amazed me. So I'm really looking forward to introducing you, and I have you as the executive vice president of Molly Made in Greater Little Rock and Northwest Arkansas. 
um, your family, I didn't realize your family only purchased um, Central Arkansas in 2005. Is that right? Your mom actually started as an HSP back then? That's right. Well, she was there before then uh, as an HSP, not for too long, for maybe a couple of months, and then she was promoted office manager, and then from at that point on, she was um, the office manager and bought it in 2005. Wow, that's awesome. That's, I wish one of my girls would want to do that. That would be really cool. It's a great way to, to leave your business to an employee, right? Right. Um, and then most recently, you guys acquired the Northwest Arkansas operation in 2017. And you're currently the third largest Molly Mage franchise in the United States. Second. Second now. Oh, I think second. I think second. <laughs> That's awesome. How long do you think about Harry? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, but uh, but we but we the good thing is we enjoy doing it, and Harry and I work closely, um, yeah. and so we share a lot of good ideas uh, back and forth, um, and I think that keeps both of us a little energized. So. Good, good. Yeah. Just don't get it to call me or anything like that. I'll go right to his head. <laughs> <laughs> and I have here that you're also getting, and we talked a little bit too about getting very um, heavily involved in politics, working in Washington, D.C. for a congressman and assisting in a successful election campaigns for a statewide office. And I think that's awesome. We were before the show just kind of talking about how great it is when you're in small business, really getting involved in some of these um, political areas that can not only help you grow as a person, but really understand what goes on behind the scenes and some of the decisions that are being made and how they affect your business now that you're, you know, involved in so many different aspects of it. So welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you all here. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Excellent. And as we said, today's topic, Ray and I want to talk to you guys about is um, domestic violence here, not, not only here, but obviously in the world. Um, and currently, I was looking at some of the statistics that used to used to be they'd say that one in four people um, have been affected, you either know somebody or you yourself have been affected by domestic violence. And the most recent statistic I was just reading today is that now we're at one in three globally, one in three, specifically women have been affected by domestic violence. And I was really shocked to see that go up. So, um, I, 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 I just want to clarify a little bit about what Kristen's saying. What we're talking about is domestic violence awareness. Uh, we're not Thank you. Did I, did, I, did I forget that part? I'm so sorry. Yeah, uh, we're not celebrating domestic violence. Yes, absolutely not. But absolutely not. Thank you for out, that. You know, uh, about the awareness of, that it is happening and, and there is uh, things that can be done. It, and unfortunately, oh, you know, it, it, it's out there. But I just want to also uh, emphasize that one of the reasons, you know, there were many reasons why my wife and I bought the Molly May franchise uh, 17, going on 18 years ago. And one of those reasons was very strongly the Miss Molly Foundation, uh, because we felt we needed to give back to the community. And we have, you know, uh, every single year since we've been in business. And uh, we'll also be on the walk, the local walk, uh, that makes aware, uh, make people aware uh, that they do have help uh, in uh, coming this next month in the local area in Aurora, Illinois. That's awesome. So I need to make a comment here. Since we've been doing Pillars of Franchising, I think we've done a show on uh, 
domestic violence awareness at least four, maybe five times. And Ray has had to give that same speech every time because I'm normally the one who screws it up. So thank you, Kristen, for botching it the way I normally do. Continuity is continued. Had to get that out. Well, yeah, I know. And, you know, I'm always usually very, very careful. But I'll tell you, sometimes um, the the pressure of – of doing intros and I'm flipping through papers and I get a little tongue tied. So that's, that's, that's right. I, I know what I meant to say. I just have to be a little slower on the draw with the tongue. So um, anyway, Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about the Miss Molly foundation and how it began and, and how you got to be where you are today? Yeah. So, um, so David McKinnon who um, brought Molly made to the United States from Canada um, decided he always knew that being a community-minded individual himself, he always wanted to have a nonprofit uh, to go along with Molly Maid. And it just he just needed to find the right one. And interestingly enough, he was home um, with pneumonia during the O.J. Simpson trial and got to kind of see firsthand um, what happened, um, you know, in, in that situation. And it really got him to thinking if, you know, you said one in three at the time, I think it was about one in five um, back, you know, maybe it was one in seven, 20 years ago. I don't know what the numbers were then, but, um, you know, if this many women, and it doesn't only happen to women, but in our in our jobs and what we do every day with Molly Maid, we're mostly working with women. Um, if one in five of them is affected by domestic violence, think about everybody in Molly Maid who could be affected. We've, you know, and, and in, and in the reality of the situation is we've had everybody from corporate home office employees, franchise owners, office staff, agencies, everybody in every different aspect of the Molly business, we've had at least one person um, that we know of who's been in a domestic violence situation. Um, and it doesn't, it does, it does not discriminate. It can happen to anybody in any community, um, whether you're affluent or whether you have no money whether no, regardless of what ethnicity you are or what religion you are, it can happen to anybody. Um, there are obviously things that increase factors, but it can happen to anybody. And I think that was one of the best, um, one of the best things that Safe House did a couple of years ago here in Ann Arbor. Um, they put up these billboards and it said, domestic violence, yes, it happens here. Because the people think, you know, I live in this really nice community things like that don't happen here. Those things happen in communities where, you know, in other communities, not here, um, you know, but it, it's something that, you know, the fact of the situation is that it does happen. And unfortunately with COVID, um, you know, we've seen uh, a significant increase in that because of, um, you know, all of those factors that like isolation and stress and economic anxiety and joblessness and, right. um, you know, lack of resources, those all, in, a, in times of a pandemic are all worse. Um, yeah. And those are all things that help to increase the chance of being in a domestic abuse situation. And, and normally, you know, maybe you're in a domestic, violence, a domestic abuse situation, but you get the opportunity to leave your house to go to the store. You right. get the opportunity to leave your house to go to work. And now mm-hmm. everybody's supposed to shelter at home. And so what do you do when that person is now here with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the instances go up, right. um, you know, which kind of makes sense. So. Well, and I think what's interesting is when you talk about what the statistics used to be, you know, I know um, generations in my family ago that it occurred in, 
And the interesting thing is, you know, you talk about 20, 30, 40 years ago, it happened, but it wasn't something that people talked about, right? It was things that happened, but it was the dark, dirty secret that nobody talked about. Because if you talked about it, you were shunned or you were told, oh, don't tell people that, right? And so, you know, you wonder what really was the number then? And even now with COVID, to your point, people are sheltered at home. They're not allowed to get out a lot. And so the number may be even higher than we're hearing because the victim can't get out and talk. And I'll tell you, you know, I have some very, very dear friends that have, you know, different lifestyles and, and their boyfriends or girlfriends are in domestic violence situations in the same sex relationships. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the statistics necessarily get reported accurately on those as well. And so I think there's a lot that goes on that as a society, we don't necessarily hear about because again, we kind of keep it in the dark. And I think we have a, a serious issue with that. And we need to be able to create channels where people can come out and make their stories known so we can get some resources. That's why yeah. the awareness part it's so important because people do want to push this under the carpet. They don't want to let anybody know that, well, grandpa was, you know, hitting on grandma. And yeah. it, it needs to be out there so that the help can be sought. And there mm-hmm. is help. And, yeah. And yeah. A lot of times victims think it was, their, it was their fault. They did something to cause it. And yeah. You know, and and that and that's and that's not true. You know, they say the same thing. You know, with with uh, you know domestic violence and sexual assault go hand in hand in a, in a lot of cases. And they say, you know, um, the main cause of the abuse is not what you were wearing or what you did or you know who you were talking to. The cause of the abuse is the abuser. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's what they did. It's not what you did. Yeah. And, and one of the things that people don't realize also is that it's a learned behavior. And it's not, it's not genetic, but it is learned. So when you see, if you see your, your dad or your grandfather doing something bad, you think, oh, that's okay. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't think it out loud, but in the back of your head, you, you, you begin to think that. And people need to realize that there is help for that. There is a, there is a, a training that you can take. There is classes that you can attend that help with that. Yeah, I think often you find that it's a subliminal thing that people see and they don't even realize that it becomes part of their makeup until they find themselves years down the road, perhaps in an adult situation where they're backed into a corner and their rage is going right and they don't know how to deal with it and then they they explode and that's what happens, right? And then it's over and they go, oh my God, I don't know what I just did. Where did that come from? Right. And then they sit down and they start talking to somebody and they realize, wow, that my dad used to do that. Or my grandfather used to do that. You know, now, Michelle, in some of the the work that you guys have been doing, um, obviously, I know and and Ray knows. But can you tell people how do you make it um, how do you make it easy for owners of your franchises to participate or get involved in the Ms. Molly Foundation? Yeah, the goal is is to make it as easy as possible. And um, back in two in two thousand nine, um, one of our franchisees, um, Bill Foley, down in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, he came up with this idea of the diamond level. Um, 
And the diamond level gives all of our franchisees the opportunity to say every clean counts. A portion of every clean goes back to a local domestic violence shelter. And originally the intent of it was that it was a dime a clean. That's where we came at, kind of came up with a dime level. Um, it was a dime a clean. And we did some fancy things with fake bling, diamond rings, and, and the whole nine yards. And it kind of became a, we have some franchisees who say, you know, I really want to give back with every clean, but you know, at my at my level, I can't do a dime. Can I do five cents? Or 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 somebody, you know, like Ray who wants to do more than a dime a clean and says, hey, can I, you know, can I do a different amount? So it kind of evolved from a dime to anywhere from I think we've got some some newer franchisees who are doing about three three cents, and we've got you know franchisees who do 35, 50 cents per clean. Um, and so that's, that's, that is really the easiest thing that, that a Molly made franchisee can do is, you know, every month I know how many cleans the franchisee does. And so I can send out an email saying, hey, this is what you did. This is how much we're taking. And then we hold those funds in, uh, in, a, in an account for um, that local franchisee. So in December, when we cut their checks, um, that money gets added to whatever else is, is, um, is, is raised. Um, but the other things that we do are, are we really try to make everything easy. You know, we're a franchise model, so we, you know, we try to not have every franchisee have to reinvent the wheel themselves. So even as things, uh, even with things with the foundation, we try to make them as smooth as possible. So we, you know, we've created a how-to kit in the past that we've sent out to franchisees so they can see how, how you can do it. We help new franchisees find a local shelter that they can work with and that they, and that they can support. Um, every year we create a customer letter, which franchisees can send out to their customers to be able to get donations from customers. Um, we have a website um, for Ms. Molly on, you can either get to it from going to, Ms. Mo or to mollymate.com uh, and then going to the about us, or you can go to mismolly.org. Um, and then on that page, there's a donation. And then there's a bunch of shelters listed there, or you can check the box that says, I want my donation to go where it's most needed. Um, and then we make sure that those uh, those funds go back to the local shelters as well. Um, we really do want to make sure that every that as many dollars um, as can go back to the local uh, local foundation. One of the nice things um, about the Ms. Molly Foundation is that um, we have very little overhead. You know, my my time is donated. Um, Kristen and the other members of the board, their time is donated. Um, we have a um, a treasurer who's a neighborly employee down in Waco, her time is donated. So we don't have a lot of bills. I mean, there are things obviously we have to have, uh, it, we have to have insurance and we have to have our taxes done, you know, those types of things. But, you know, in a general year, more than 90%, usually closer to 95% of every, um, every dollar that's raised goes back, 95% uh, of the total that's raised goes back to local shelters and domestic violence centers. Right. Right. Very good. And one thing I want to point out, um, and we have to take a commercial break, but I, I do want, don't want to miss the fact that, and I got a message reminding me, and we often do focus a lot on women. And I, I wanted to make sure that we pointed out the part about, you know, um, this doesn't just go one way. It, there are females that also abuse men. And so it is a really important thing. It isn't just a one-way street. And I don't want anyone to think that we're trying to paint that picture because it's certainly not the case. And I think that, um, you know, there are probably a number of men out there listening going, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's some really strong women out there as well that can be just as abusive because abuse doesn't just present itself physically, right? There is mental, there is emotional there is financial abuse. There's a lot of different things 
Um, you know, and it, you know, my cousin always laughs and jokes about, you know, he's the one who always got abused on his back. And, you know, that's, you know, a little, a little off topic because it's really more about um, how we used to get punished by our parents. <laughs> and back then it was corporal punishment, but it's, you know, all, all joking aside, you know, it's not just a man and woman topic or an issue. And so I don't want to paint that lightly. And I don't want anyone to think that that's the way that we perceive it either. So um, on that I'm note, glad you brought that up and not me. <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah. it's true. And, you know, I got a yeah. gentle reminder about that. And we have talked about it in the past. And sometimes we, we focus on it in one direction. And, um, you know, it's, it's just not one sided. And so I want to make sure that I am very, you know, direct about it and, you know, no holds barred. It is definitely a two-way street. So on that note, what I'd like to do is go ahead and let us pay the bills by doing a commercial. When we come back, I'd like to talk to Michael because I'm really interested, Michael, when we come back, I'd like to hear about what drives your involvement and your interest in the foundation, um, particularly, as, as particularly as such a young person when you got involved in it. His Molly made does some of the greatest programs to involve employees, which we really need to hear about. So, yep, absolutely. <laughs> there we go, Fred. Hey, franchise owners, how's your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westbine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westbine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westbine with a y.com. And we want to give a shout out to the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Reminder that you can either chat live with I or our technical producer, Heidi, at the PillarsOfFranchising.com website, or you can dial in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And for those watching, you can see the Caffeinated Connection sign up. Uh, stop in Tuesday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Central Coast time. Sign up at castanadeconnections.com and learn why it's the goofiest hour of networking in North America. How's that for a tagline, folks? Let's rock. How's oh, that for a mouthful? See what happens when you don't have a whole lot in a little amount of time? Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, Michael, it's your turn to say a whole lot in a little amount of time. We have so much we want to know about you. But you got to go. What do you want to know? <laughs> so we want to know like you were so young when you got started you have such great ideas like Ray said I mean I remember one of the clips I saw of you at a convention was that you had coordinated this huge parade and walk and I was like who is this kid? yeah it really you know my family we're a family of runners well uh we I guess um 
we, I do less running now that, that I get older. Um, but we, we were family runners. My grandma actually did a race uh, in Greece. She, she did the original marathon. Uh, and so that, that's how involved in racing we are. And so we always used to do a 5K. And we noticed that a lot of these 5Ks were going towards charitable, uh, d- d- just different causes. Uh-huh. Um, and we realized, you know, there's not one for domestic violence. And why not try to put one together um, to help our local community and to go in with Miss Molly Foundation um, and our local drive. Uh, and so we were fortunate enough to find a good running club here that would be willing to team up with us and help us just, you know, spearhead the whole thing. And we got together um, every week for a long time, it seems, and, until we finally had, you know, the, the good pieces together to, to put together a good 5K. Um, and we were very successful. We did it for two years. Our first year wasn't as successful as our, our second. The second, we raised $20,000 and um, in one weekend on one Saturday. Um, it was called the Great Gobbler Run, uh, since we were doing it close to Thanksgiving. Um, so that was a lot of fun. That's very cool. And so, and, and how old were you when you did the first one? So I, the first one, I was 16. Um, 16, put together that 5K. Um, and it just, it just took a lot of, um, you know, anytime you want to do something, you just have to, you just have to do it. Um, and mm-hmm. we, want, we wanted to do something different, something special, uh, because uh, like Ray said, uh, giving back to the community is, it has to be an important part of your business. I mean, it, the, the community gives so much to us um, as businesses. Yep. Uh, it's important that we give back in, in some shape, way, or form. Um, and not only that, your employees, it builds a good company culture when mm-hmm. your employees feel like they're more involved than outside of their, their day-to-day work. Uh, when they see that you're involved, that you as an owner, as their boss, you're, 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 you're not just in it you know, for, for the, for the money, but you're also in it to give back to things that are close to them. Absolutely. Um, and so it, it, like we said, you know, it, domestic violence impacts so many different people. Um, we're, we're certain it impacts people within our team. Um, yeah. and so these are, by doing this, they see that we're doing something that impacts them, even if they don't come tell us, um, yeah. you know, just directly, they, they know that we're doing something that helps them in one way or another. They, they, they know that they, you know, because you support that, they know there is help available. And, Absolutely. And exactly. that's so important. I know that we have helped and we don't ask any questions. They they just simply come in and say, Hey, do you have that card for yes, me? Exactly. You know, and we just say, Okay, here it is, you know. Yep. We you know, if they want to get us involved in some way, we try to keep our distance, but at the same time give them as much help as we can. Yeah, yeah. Now Michael, I know at some point, um, if memory serves me correctly, because you were still in school, like in high school for a couple of years, you were able to get some, actually some local kids involved in these too, right? Some kids from school. Yeah, we sure did. We got the, we got the local, uh, we got my school's cheerleading squad. We got the, uh, the, the running team. We got everyone um, involved. Um, And so we, we had a lot of fun together too. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and, and a lot of times, it's just giving people the opportunity to help out also. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people don't, they, you know, they want to help, but they don't know how. Um, right. And so by creating a, a way for them to, you know, to contribute, they, everyone mm-hmm. was on board. You know, it's, it's rare to see teenagers up super early at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning, um, but, we, but we made it happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I really, as I said, you know, one of the, one of the reasons that we chose the brand you know, when we were looking, and I think Ray, we, you and I have talked about this several times before, and I know I, we've talked about it in our mentor segment, um, you know, when it came to choosing a brand, 
I grew up, I always say I grew up in a corporate world that um, had a, a cause, right? We then worked for Habitat for Humanity. That was our cause. And so when we looked at brands to buy or invest in, it was really important to me when we came down to the final three, Molly made not only had that great family feeling, but it had a corporate cause. It had something you could get behind and it had something that I really believed in. And I think for our listeners out there who are thinking about investing in a franchise, it's really important that you buy something you believe in. I mean, if you were Michael now, you went and you could buy anything or invest in any kind of brand that you wanted, would that be a deciding factor for you to buy a brand or invest in a brand that that had a, a charity involved? Would that make a difference to you if all other things were equal? No, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, yes. With, without a doubt, you know, doing, um, knowing that, that you're making money, but doing good for the community at the same time, you know, it's, yeah. it, 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 it has a, a better, you just put more energy into it. You put more passion into it. Um, so we know that, you know, every clean that we do, like Michelle said, a portion that goes to the Miss Molly Foundation and gets, and, it, and the best thing is about the Miss Molly Foundation is that it goes back into our local community. So it's not right. going somewhere and we don't see that impact. That's, that's impacting our backyard. Um, right. And that's, you know, and so doing those things, and, and not only that, Molly Maid has made it, and Michelle and her work and Miss Molly Foundation has made it so easy to to contribute to help. I mean, these are some things that are just so um, so so obvious to do. Um, yeah. You know, you, that, that you should definitely think of those things while you're considering a brand to go with, and how they impact your community. Um, you know, in different ways. Yeah. Michelle, can you tell us about, um, I think it was, what, I'm sorry, Ray, like two years ago, it was before COVID, right? The Molly Foundation got a nice award. Can you tell us about that award? Yeah, interestingly enough, you were, I was just thinking about that as we were talking. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, I, you know, you were talking about franchising and as you're, if you were somebody who was wanting to open a franchise, um, you know, you'd want to pick one that was doing something to give back, give back to the community and uh, the IFA a couple of years ago created a franchise franchising giving back arm, and it I think they I believe they started it in 2015, um, and in 2015 uh, through 2019 they gave awards out every year to franchising uh, to IFA members that were involved in a couple of different um, categories. One was like the new new type of business getting back involved with their community. Um, you know, but the one that we won in 2018 was called the Enduring Impact Award, and it's given to an IFA member uh, that gives back to their community for five or more consecutive years. And at, the, at that time, I think the found, you know, this was what five, four years ago. Um, so we had been doing uh, doing our thing for over 20 years at that point. So obviously, we qualified in that five or more consecutive year category. Um, it was, it's, you know, it was an amazing honor. There are lots of um, IFA members that do great things and lots of them that have been doing it for a long time. And so to be able to um, be in, uh, to be with uh, other IFA members that give back to their communities and do other, do other great things. I mean, there are so many of them that do great things um, to be recognized with them and to get a chance to meet some of them and find out the things that they do. Um, it really, it really was a great, a, a great honor, and they gave us a, a an award as well, a financial award that we got to use and to give back to, give more money back to the local domestic violence shelter. That's and awesome. That's one of the things I wanted to ask Michelle, just so our audience understands. How does giving to the Miss Molly Foundation help a local owner of a Molly Maid 
especially if they don't even have a domestic shelter in their area. So how, how does that, how is that money, you know, equitably distributed? Yeah, how does that the local community, right, Ray? Yeah. So, so like Michael was saying earlier, um, you know, they're, they've got two businesses. They, they're in two different parts of Arkansas, and they have two different local domestic violence shelters that they, that they work with. Um, so all of the money that they raise. So when, whenever a Molly Maid franchise uh, works with a local domestic violence shelter, 100%, you know, I mentioned earlier, 95% plus um, what's donated in the giving year goes back. But 100% of what gets donated locally goes back locally if there is a local domestic violence shelter. So, the, so every dollar that raised donates plus that raised consumers or customers donate plus any vendors that Ray works with that donate, 100% of that goes back to Ray's shelter. Same thing uh, with any Molly made across the, the country. And then for those Molly maids that are not in an, an area, in an area where there's a domestic violence shelter or not one that they work with, then those funds are used um, we, we take some of the excess funds and then those are distributed back to other shelters. So, um, you know, we did a fundraiser uh, last fall. Um, it was our first um, virtual auction and we raised about $15,000 um, in that auction and we got other neighborly brands involved and just Molly made this time. So we had winners from other companies uh, that are part of the neighborly family. And um, we, we took money from, from that auction and we divided it up amongst um, the shelters that we were supporting. So every shelter got an extra little bonus check uh, or bonus added to their check to be able to uh, disperse those extra funds that came in that weren't necessarily designated to go to a specific place. Excellent. And Michelle, we're going to put on our page, obviously, um, how, how we can, how people can get in touch with you, the Ms. Molly Foundation, uh, a couple of things that we didn't talk about, I want to make sure I just bring up before we wrap up this segment, obviously. Um, people can donate um, to the Ms. Molly Foundation through Amazon Smile. So if you go to Amazon Smile and you go down through the different charities, you can find the Ms. Molly Foundation on there so that when you're doing your normal Amazon shopping, uh, you can click on Ms. Molly Foundation. Every purchase you do, of course, will go to the Ms. Molly Foundation that way. And look out because October is the month for domestic violence awareness. So if you have a Molly Maid in your area and you happen to be a lucky Molly Maid uh, client, you will find people like me who will send you a letter that says, hey, are you looking to clean out your closets? Hey, do you wanna donate uh, dry goods and things of that nature to your local women's shelter? Um, often your local, local Molly Maids will in turn be donating goods and things of that nature to the shelters who so desperately need them at this time, especially when the demand is so high. So there are lots of ways that Molly Maid gets involved. And we wanna thank you, Michelle, so much, and Michael Silvanash for being on the show today um, and really bringing attention to, you know, I always call it America's little dark secret. Um, and uh, hopefully anybody and everybody out there who knows somebody or has experienced this in the past, please go to our website. We'll have the national number. Michelle, do you have it off the top of your head, the national? I see it. No, because <laughs> you just got interrupted, but we'll make sure on the website, there he is, on the website, we'll have the national number posted so that if you or someone you know needs help, the national um, hotline for domestic violence victims will be out there for you. Again, I want to thank you both for being on the show, and we're going to go ahead and take commercial now. So, Fred, you can go ahead and pay the bills one more time. The Franchise Woman is a bi-monthly digital magazine that empowers women as they navigate the franchising industry by providing relevant news, tools, advice, and inspiration. 
We are a resource for women who are seeking to own their own businesses, improve their existing businesses, find creative solutions, and take advantage of franchise opportunities. We feature women in the business who best exemplify our ideals and have something to teach our readers. In addition to our exclusive articles relating to the female entrepreneur, we also feature brands that are geared for women. Women have become the fastest growing sector in business ownership and have become a powerful, influenceable force fueling the economy. The Franchise Woman will give you the news that is relevant to you to help you navigate the path of successful franchise ownership. By women, for women, and about women, we are The Franchise Woman. Join us today at www.thefranchisewoman.com. And now, I want to remind our listeners that they can call in to 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. Or chat at thepillarsfranchising.com. And now for our next segment, I've been looking forward to this title for a long time. Let's make a deal. Let's Come on down. Man, are you ready? About that. I feel like we need a wheel to spin or something. <laughs> That's all right. We... Tell me, David, what kind of a deal do you have today? Well, you know, to follow up on one of our conversations we had, I don't know, a month or two ago, I'm not even sure how long it's been, but, you know, it's a question that, uh, that everybody always seems to ask, and, and especially new entrepreneurs. So, you know, I've kind of aimed this at, you know, those of you listening, and, um, and, and what I, I hear this all the time, especially from someone who's never owned a business. First, I guess the first question they, they always ask is, how much does it cost? What's it going to cost? Yeah. But the second statement they make is, is the one that, that we're going to address today, and that they automatically, a good number of people, dismiss themselves by saying, I can't afford that. Right? Yep. And, and, I always, and I always think about that. And, and sometimes we put people that own businesses, you know, have a different, you know, maybe we put them on a different pedestal. That's not the right word. But, but put, hold them in a different regard, like, oh, they must be smarter than us they must be more resourced than us they must have you know a, a way to a way to get open a business that i don't have and and i think that's what i want to address today is, is really comes down to the art of making a deal and, and whatever that deal means to you depends on whatever that business is depends on what you're looking to accomplish so awesome. I, what i what i tell everybody is i says you know that that's the wrong statement i can't afford it you know what you need to do is if you something you want to do bad enough Maybe type it in your phone, get pen and paper, you know, old-fashioned way, but, but write some of this stuff down. I mean, the question you want to do is ask yourself, how can I afford it? Okay. And that's what I tell you, is ask that question. How can I afford this? How can I make my dream come true? You know, how bad do I want it? That all kind of run, you know, runs underneath. How can I afford it? So you're challenging yourself to just to not cut yourself off and say, I can't afford this. That's too right. much money. You have to be... You have to have money to make money. You have to be rich to move only the rich. I mean, all those limiting beliefs and statements that people tell themselves. Right. Flip it around. Well, that's what we learned from our parents, right? Yeah. Hey, good <laughs> course, man. I did. That's all I heard, right? Money doesn't grow on trees. Right? That's right. Um, but so, that's so that's what the QID stands for, by the way. Keep your daydream. <laughs> it does. It does. Go ahead. I'm not going to. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, this question you have to ask yourself, how can I afford it? That starts the wheels in motion, right? That, that kind of tells you you're serious about what you want to accomplish. Here's another question, the follow-up question. 
And again, take a piece of paper, write it down, and, and, and answer the question. Just don't, don't ask. But, but what resources do I currently have? And what resource do I currently have? And a lot of people think, well, I only have this much money in the bank. All right. I'll use, I use myself and my wife as an example. We didn't even have enough money for the franchise fee when we mm -hmm. first started. We put the balance of the fee on a credit card. Okay. But it started with the belief, and that, that's a long story, how I finished out the other several hundred thousand dollars I needed to open up a business when I didn't even have enough for the franchise fee in my, at my fingertips. So right. what resources do I have? Okay. What do I need? Meaning how much money do I need? What's it going to take? Mm -hmm. How can I get what I need? And who can help me? Those, when you start answering those questions and maybe thinking deeply into them, that kind of starts that momentum to I'm not going to be stopped. And I didn't set up a roadblock right from the beginning to say, I can't afford it. Well, let's, let's talk about a couple of those, because sure. I think, you know, I think that you're right onto something. And I think a lot of people, you know, first of all, you talk about um, in, in all of our conversations, we talk about the word grit, right? And that if you're somebody who at the first roadblock is going to, you know, hit a wall and not go any further, then obviously going into business is not for you, right? I think that's almost mm -hmm. verbatim. It's like, if that's what's going to happen, then this is not for you. And so um, when you talk about like sitting down and saying, well, how can I afford it, right? What are my resources? You know, we've talked about there being some um, maybe uncommon resources, mm -hmm. right? That whether it's you've had to use or other people have had to use and without, you know, going through a long rendition of them all, you know, you said cash in some cases, and maybe it's not the ideal situation, but you've had to use credit cards. Sometimes there's family, sometimes there's friends, sometimes there's, you know, a bank, sometimes there's SBA, and people have to know that you've got to go out there and dig. You know, if it doesn't come to the top of mind, you've got it on a piece of paper. Just because you can't come up with five to 10 answers in two to three minutes doesn't mean you fold up the piece of paper or throw it in the garbage, right? Keep That's it there, right. mull it over, right? Because it's not going to come to you right away. You no. might have to sit on it for two weeks, like maybe no. longer, right? Right. And, and to be honest with you, the business itself in the beginning, before you even get to that point, your desire is the biggest thing. It has to be an all-encompassing desire. This is what I want to do and nothing's going to stop me. It has to be all-encompassing. And, and that, 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 you know, and think and grow rich, right? Desi yep. The starting point of everything is desire. It has to be a burning desire. As it says. So, so when you start writing that down, it's, it's from that place that, I'm going to get this done. And when that happens and you start challenging yourself, start thinking through it, you come up with ways to make a deal. When I first said I wanted to open up my franchise, I had no idea that where I was going to get the money, who, who I, you know, even how to make a deal and how to attract people to invest in it. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. But as I kept going through that approach, and I became consumed with making sure I funded the project. And that's a, that's a great word. I was consumed by it. How many times and, do you think you were told no? Uh, you know, um, from financial institutions, plenty of times. Heck, from my father, when I, I think I told that story in a previous episode, right? I, I gave a whole pitch to my parents because I needed their house as collateral. They needed to sign as guarantors on a loan. And they had just paid off their house. And a month later, I come after 30 years, of, you know, struggle and everything else. I go, hey, I need the equity in your house. And I told my wife going there, I says, my dad's going to be all for it. My mom's going to say no. So I had all everything prepared to, 
to combat my mom's objection. And then it flipped on me. My dad jumps out of his chair and says, there's no way that's happening. He takes off. My mom goes, okay, what do we need to do? I looked at my wife and I said, I, I, I need a minute. I, I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> but but, but it's an all, it's, you have to be consumed by, I'm going to get my project done. And then yeah. answers kind of come to you. And, and it's not like I set out for it. All of a sudden, I would be talking with somebody and telling them what I'm doing. And the guy goes, oh, wow, that's great. I'd, I'd be interested in helping out. I didn't even ask him. Yeah. The next yeah. thing I know, hey, you know what? You start putting together your financial picture. Make sure it's viable. It starts there, right? You know how much the business, you know, hopefully you project out your business. If I give away some of my equity in my deal, if I if I if I can take on a you know a, a, a non-traditional loan from another investor, you know how does that pay out? And make sure it works financially, and then you can kind of be armed with what can I go sell to somebody to help me out for a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars? What can I give them? Right? And most investors, here's something they you know the one the investors understand money risk. Investors understand risking money. What they don't want. They don't want that contingent liability, the long-term risk. They, they don't want to be on the hook for the lease. They don't want to be on the hook for, for a bank loan. They might invest the money. So that's another negotiating point to say, hey, if I'm going to take on all the risk as the franchisee, all I need is your money. I want to keep a little bit more of the deal and let's structure your amount of money, maybe some as equity and some as loan and figure out how that works. And you know, you might have an attorney and accountant get involved in those types of things, but that's how you put together a deal. And next thing you know, yeah, you might not own 100% of the business. You might have some sound partners. You might have a couple of loans, but you're open. Mm-hmm. You know, what's crazy is like I've never put together a deal where I need investors. And so because we just haven't done a deal that way, right? And so I listen to it and go, wow, I'm not really sure where I go get an investor. But you're so passionate about it that I'm like, okay, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> because I think for people who are passionate and like really – believe in it right like you get people who like me who go okay yeah let's well, go right because I've, I've opened up over 20 businesses where i didn't have enough money to do it uh-huh, do uh-huh. Any of them, and they all opened but i had to be creative somewhere and then you, you find out when your investors are happy they're willing to go into your next deal and they're willing to go into your next deal right and then other people are knocking on your door and going hey i heard you know so and so so i want in on your next deal and then it snowballs, but but I, I've never owned a business 100% mm-hmm. in any of them, and that's 28 years. So it just has it just hasn't been that way for me, um, and that's partly because I was loyal to people who helped me start too. So when I started and expanded, I wanted them to be a part of it. I think so. that's a good message for people that you know you may have to make a deal, but the most important thing is no matter what deal you make, no matter where you go. Don't burn a bridge and always be ethical and be loyal because you may have to go back to those same people down the road for another deal. While you're doing it, like you said, you're getting a lot of no's. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, that's why you have to have that all all consuming desire because you know you start you start to doubt yourself. You know, some people are saying no. You start to doubt the concept. Am Am I can I really make money? Why are so many people telling me no? Why aren't you know? And, you, and you're just consumed by it and you're, you're pitching your business plan everywhere. And um, at least for us, again, but again, I go back to, you know, we probably shouldn't even been qualified to open up the franchise, truthfully, yeah. you know, yeah. with the little resources we had. 
you know, and we, we, we laugh all the time. And when I talk about all consumed, I'm talking about, I was, this was on my mind 24-7. Remember, I'm working a corporate job at the time and trying to do this stuff outside of hours the whole bit and just pushing to the point where, where I, rem- I remember my wife, it's Valentine's Day. She's, she's waiting for me to come home from work and she's got this nice little outfit on and blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. I come in, I'm like, and she's, and I'm like, whatever, I got to get this business plan done. I got a presentation. <laughs> she just looked at me like I was out of my mind. And I went, I went, you know what? I better make that up to her. There's not going to be any more Valentine's Day anywhere. But that's, yeah. you know, but that's what I'm saying. When you become obsessed, consumed with making sure your dream comes true, you, you, you'll come up with the answers. I promise you that. I promise things will fall in place for you. Well, I hope you've all had a chance to listen to David because, as I said, I think his passion speaks for itself. And, and again, David, you've got my vote. I'm, I'm willing to make a deal. I don't know what deal it is next. But with that, as, as you talk about uh, your corporate job, we're going to switch over to Jerry and talk about the corporate general manager because he's got some interesting things to share with us on the show today, too. Thank you, David, so much again. And, Jerry, what about this? Well, I, you know, I, I bought into David's passion just like you did, and right? uh, that's the exciting part of this. Yeah, very cool, and I've been where he's been at, so he and I can share a lot of uh, horror stories about uh, trying to find money. You know, and that was the fun part of what's going on right now. I want to talk a little bit more uh, about some of the concerning things that are going on, and frankly, this is coming out of the nation's capital, and that is the PRO Act. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of you may have heard of joint employer over the last few years, and the PRO Act is a thinly disguised version of joint employer that we're now dealing with. And for those of you that haven't been following this over the last seven or eight years like I have, I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis of what that means. You know, we as franchisees think that we are independent business owners and that, you know, we do our own hiring and firing and we decide what we'll pay employees and what our benefits package will be like and those kinds of things, which is, which I think is a part of owning your own business. You can, right. uh, we've, we've talked uh, with Molly maids about helping with some of the things that they've helped with. And I know we're driven to try and create a better income stream and benefit stream for all of our employees. So being an independent uh, business person, you have the opportunity to do that. Well, joint employer is uh, basically going to make our employees a component of a corporation, uh, the franchisor, rather than the franchisee. Uh, In essence, what they're doing, if if you fall into this category, then um, every franchisor would be responsible for the employees of every franchisee across America. Think about how that would work. Huge numbers. Not only huge numbers, but I mean, how do you, I I mean, all of a sudden then Molly Maid turns into, for lack of a better term, a Home Depot store. And I simply become a Home Depot store manager all over again. Well, that's exactly right. That's why the title, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corporate store managers. And that's not what we signed up for, right? I mean, are they going to start paying my taxes for me? And like, do I get to play with their money instead of my own? Well, no, and that's a good point, Kristen. I mean, and David just touched on it. We as independent uh, franchisees, we uh, put our heart and soul, all of our money, our life savings. We borrow against our house. We do all those kinds of things. We take all the risks. We have the desire and the passion and the dream and all that kind of stuff. 
And then suddenly they walk in and say, oh, just kidding. You get to be a general manager now, even though it's still your money and your passion. You uh, do not have control over your own employees because you fall under uh, the PRO Act, joint employer. And uh, right. it is it is a, a little bit of a scary situation that we're working on right now. I can imagine that the franchisors would want to necessarily take on this cumbersome I mean, they're not equipped. They don't have the, the rank and file people that they need in a corporate office with HR strategies, and, and they don't have that either. No, and they don't want it. And in fact, if you weren't following this day by day, you probably wouldn't notice. But over about the last five to six years, many franchisors have changed and altered the way that they support their franchisees. By that, I mean, maybe they aren't giving out policy and procedure manual templates now. Uh, maybe they are, maybe their uh, demands over what you do as a franchisee with uniformity across the spectrum of, of employees has changed. Uh, maybe they're not helping with uh, recruiting as much as they used to and some of those kinds of things. Those are all attempts to distance themselves from being considered a joint employer because mm -hmm. they cannot have anything to do with supporting you through your uh, employee side, even so much as uh, expecting employees of a, of a food chain to wear the same uniform or the same logo on their uniform across the United States could fall under this joint employer category because that would be an, a franchisor showing some control over a franchisee's employees. So think about that, policies and procedures, national standards, all of those kinds of things go out the window. How can we get started in this whole thing? Where, where, who's trying to make money on this deal? Because quite frankly, I mean, if you think about it, you know, I guess if I, if I looked at this whole thing, you know, part of why we buy into a franchise is so that we get the systems, we get the, the cookie cutter stuff, right? Now, I was fortunate enough, I had a lot of HR training. A lot of my colleagues did not have the HR training. And so for me, I was thankful for what little, and I do mean little, bit of HR help we received. And, and a lot of that had to do with application process, uniforms. You, you know, Ray, what I'm talking about, right? And so if you, they're gonna start pulling all that back and we're gonna have to do that all on our own, I think there to be a, Putting small businesses like ours a little bit at risk in that way. I think there's a lot of trouble to be had with this whole joint employer. I mean, a lot. Well, and again, Kristen, that's why franchisors have been working the last few years to move out of that realm so that they do not risk being called into a joint employer type uh, situation. A story, I sat on a panel with a, a fellow franchisee from Arizona about three years ago, and he had uh, he had fallen into the joint employer category. He, there was a complaint uh, made by one of his employees that got to the National Labor Relations Board. And uh, it was a, the problem is we have gone away from direct control, and that is a definition uh, under the in, in the NLRB, direct control, to now they're looking at it as indirect control. And frankly, it's a very vague definition. So when you think about this, uh, my friend who was a franchisee, still is, uh, he got called on the carpet for this potential uh, allegation of, of a situation where he fell under joint employer. 
And uh, he spent about two years and around $100,000 fighting that situation, finally got out from under that umbrella. He was found not guilty, but still $100,000 in two years of his life. And frankly, folks, that could happen to any of us out here. So Mm -hmm. when we see our franchisors doing what they can to try and protect us as much as them by not giving us those, Many franchisors right now are introducing their franchisees to third-party vendors who help with HR, who help with recruiting, who help with a variety of things like that. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's all about avoiding the joint employer headache. Well, I think, Ray, you know, um, that's probably a good good part where we have a co-op that helps with some of our legal documents and our handbook. Mm -hmm. You know, those are actually probably really good you know, we get some things, but that's that's probably a really good thing that for people who are in franchises and major markets and can work together as a group and pool their money to hire these third parties, you're probably really well served to do that. And that could be why in, in our group, we've had people who have switched their roles from being um, regional regional managers or regional service managers to now being business coaches, right? Like their titles at the home office have changed like 32 different times Mm -hmm. (laughs) to things that mean, I'll call it less and less. to now they're coaches, right? That that give them less and less direct management responsibility over their franchisees. Yeah. And, that, and that's true that uh, our franchise coach doesn't really have that much control over us, you know, and I can't see how anybody can call us joint employers. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And the problem is because the definition is so, is so vague, they could call us on the carpet for virtually anything where a franchisor has anything to do with your employees. So yeah. again, it's, it's the fear of being called on the carpet and sued and those kinds of things uh, and defending it that is really almost larger than the actual uh, act of trying to work within this and manage it. You know, I've got friends in California who are franchisees, and they've dealt with a couple deals called uh, AB5, okay, and uh, which, is, which is joint employer for California, basically, and then uh, the ABC uh, template, which basically uh, gives us three guidelines, and if you if you fail on any of these three guidelines, you're automatically called on the carpet for a joint employer thing. And one of them would be uh, would be such uh, where you would have to have uh, national standards that you follow. Again, even though we don't feel that should come into play, the fact is, if somebody wants to call you on the carpet and claim that that is a, uh, and that's a part of a joint employer, you are then going to be dealing with, with uh, attorneys and paying bills and fighting that for some period of time. Because it's so uh, vague as far as the definition, anything to do where uh, in a, a franchisor is giving you insight or guidance or any of those other kinds of things as far as your, fran- your uh, employees go could eventually fall into that joint employer category. Okay, Jerry, so as we, as we wrap up, I guess I've got two questions. So the so one, obviously, you and IFA are very involved in working with the government to try to get this resolved. Are you hopeful that, that we will get to a positive solution 
I, uh, I'm fearful. I think that's the best way to put it right now. Uh, this has already passed the House. I would mm-hmm. say any of your listeners that uh, have any concerns about that should reach out to your senators and try and explain how disastrous that would be for the franchise uh, model and mm-hmm. what that would mean to you. Because our friends that are franchisees in California right now are, in essence, general managers for a corporation rather than the franchisee and the owner anymore. So um, any of you out there that, uh, you know, would like to, I think you should call your senator, email him, whatever, and uh, and let him know that this is something that could dramatically impact the franchise model. So let me ask you, because we are so all things franchising. I mean, if you are out there looking to buy a franchise right now or advise somebody on buying a franchise, you, a guy with, oh my goodness, so much in franchising, do you move forward and buy a franchise still? Absolutely. Franchising is still the best way for an individual to get into business. Uh, buying the business in a box, as you mentioned before, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, we've got 29 hairstyling locations. I don't have a license to do hair. So if you want to get into a business other than something you've been trained to do, this is the best way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Go into it with your eyes wide open. Understand that there may be some, some uh, hurdles that you've got to go over, just like any time in any business, right? This is right. something new. Um, you know, and frankly, I have hope that the Senate will stop this and it will buy some time anyhow. Uh, yeah. But I would tell everybody don't rest because it's going to keep coming back. So okay. yes, buy a franchise. It's the best way to get into business. Uh, frankly, I think it's less risk and you get a lot more support. I think franchisors are going to continue to work on their end. They probably have two or three more attorneys that they've hired in the last few years just to deal with joint employer and protect them and isolate them. So when they're doing that, it's actually protecting the franchisees. So awesome. I'm, I'm in hopes that we all can figure out a way to work our way through this. I think it's still the best model to go with, but just understand it's one more hurdle we're going to face. Awesome. Well, again, Jerry, like I said, I'm so excited to have you as part of our team. And I think that each week now that we do this and you bring more and more knowledge to the table, not only for Ray and I and David and Fred, but for all of our listeners, um, and I thank you for your time and all the energy. Now I got to see if Fred's going to take us down some squirrel hole or wherever, <laughs> wherever he's going. I don't know. <laughs> Today we go into the worst case scenario. What Jer- we're going to continue on the top, the, the pro act and the $15 an hour minimum wage and see how that takes us into the matrix. So, I told you I'm just drinking vitamin water today, and you're uh, going to go down all this heavy-duty stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, as, hey. as we've been doing research on this, um, I learned earlier this week that there are robots out there that you can buy for about seventy grand that will flip burgers, make donuts, <laughs> do other stuff. And, and as I thought back about it, I remember years ago to seeing the first Roomba. I remember when a, a friend of mine had one of those Roombas that would go around there. And yet the, the article I had read said, when you look at it, 70 grand for a, uh, you pay for it once you kind of, you know, keep maintenance on it, but that's about what you pay for first year for a $15 an hour employee when you add all the benefits on there. So my question comes is let's assume that, as is my normal perspective, government has no clue what it's doing, has its head shoved up its behind. Um, I'll keep it clean. 
um, and has no real clue and therefore makes everything worse. What does happen with uh, with automation and artificial intelligence, and <laughs> how does the franchisee deal with it? Does the franchise does franchising still exist in in the matrix? Who wants to jump on that one first? Your best I'll cyber. Jump on it. Go for it, man's got I'll guts. Jump on it. I believe that uh, your your uh, explanation about the burger flipping robot and those kinds of things, I think that's already happening, and I think a big share of that is due to two things: it's uh, it's uh, minimum wage pressures and the joint employer situation. Anytime you got employees uh, under the government's guidance, there's going to be some issues with it. So if you can manage your costs, your overhead costs, and avoid some legal issues by having uh, robots or kiosks to check in or buy your burgers or whatever the case might be, you've eliminated a whole lot of those things. So I believe it's going to continue to go that way. There are some franchises that uh, I think I think all franchises are going to exist. They're just going to look different. They may have less employees. And uh, I believe there are some franchises that can't use some of that kind of things. For instance, theoretically, we won't have a robot that cuts hairs, so probably we won't, but you can do things like have a voicemail system on your phone. There's a variety of things you can do to automate other parts of your business that will maybe uh, minimize the number of employees you have. So I think this is going to continue to move forward, Fred. Great points. I don't like any a human being getting close to my head with a knife. I mean, that just kind of <laughs> weirds me out. Well, you know, they, I, I think, Jerry, we may be closer to that haircut than you think because, you know, they have robots that perform operations now. So that's pretty precise, and they are more precise. They have the Floby for haircuts. So, Don't they have the Floby, right? The Floby yeah, is kind of like yeah. it. We're all going to own drone transformers. We're just going to send them up. They're going to do our shopping for us. We're going to drop them down. They'll bring back our food. They'll do everything. So we'll just, that's it. You never leave and leave yeah. your house. Just and Ray, Ray, we're just going to have Rosie the robot like the Jetsons. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. Molly made. She's going to be dressed. That's right. Her. That's right. But Rosie is going to take the blueprint of your house, just like my little off-brand Roomba, because we can't afford a Roomba. So, uh, uh Franchise home office training is going to be to locate the switch on the robot. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be it. They're going to show up in a self-driving, uh, automatic driving car. Yeah. You've got a remote control. They ring the doorbell, let in, and then you just push the button, and they're gone. And yeah. They're, Insurance they're is going to be high because, you know, they're going to not be on the roads, and it's going to be, like, collisions everywhere. <laughs> Replacement so, costs will be the roof. This brings up one question because, see, sadly, I can see everything you've talked about coming coming I true. Know. My question is, yeah. is that with everything being done artificial with artificial intelligence or robots and things like that, who's going to have a freaking job getting paid to do something so that they can pay for the service, goods and services? <laughs> Aren't they, uh, you got it. it. The, the, We're all just going to sit at home in unemployment and get that extra check. Get the extra money. And don't forget, Fred, that's why they're legalizing marijuana in all these states. Yeah. In uh, California, it was kind of like. They didn't want to do anything. Yeah, well, I, California, no one else wanted to oh, do anything God. else. The government wanted to tax taxes. Don't you have that song, be. It's the End of the World as We Know It? 
I would I would play that, but then we'd probably get spanked by you and somebody or other. So on that note, I want to thank our guests. Um, this is we've been able to take a very serious topic, um, teach people stuff, and still go down the rabbit hole. My kind of episode, yes. We'll be back next week on. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry.